0: of Scripture That's really challenging. I really felt directed to the Lord to do this. And it's really challenging. And it's challenging in two ways. The first way is because the text we're going to look at is from the book of Revelation. Now, if you're one of these people, at Revelation all figured out, let me know what it means. Because I've been looking at it for 40 years and I still don't know what it means. And I think that's kind of the way it's supposed to be. Um, and so it's from the book of Revelation, which is a vision that John saw on the Isle of Patmos, and he's writing it down, and, and there's things that are prophetic in it, and there's there's things that are futuristic in it, and the church has been trying for 2,000 years to kind of put the pieces together, and I think as the right time comes, God will show us what it is. And so, it's first of all, it's difficult because it's from Revelation. The other reason the section of Scripture we're going to look at is a little challenging is because the text that we're going to look at doesn't sugarcoat anything. Um, it kind of challenges Christians in a very kind of upfront way. Now, even though the book of Revelation, as I said, can be a challenge to understand, sections like we're going to look at here today um, are really some sections that are really clear, um, at least in their application to us. So the text we're going to look at today is found in the beginning of the book of Revelation, chapter 3 if you want to turn there, the beginning of the book, and it's um, where, where Jesus is talking to John about the spiritual condition of seven different churches. And what he goes through is he says, here's what I see that's going good for you, and here's what I see that's going bad for you. And what he says when it's going bad, he says, and here's how I want you to change. And so we're going to look at the message that Jesus gave to the church in the city of Laodicea. And, and this is my personal belief. I really believe that the message to the church of, of Laodicea has implications for us in our modern time, I think it's. I think my interpretation of Revelation, the seven churches, is that they're 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 they're, they're, they're um, revelations to specific ages in the church. And I think the Laodicean church is the last church. It's At least the way myself and a lot of other people believe that. So I think there's some real applicable things in there. In fact, I I really believe that the Spirit directed me to speak about this today because He loves us. And he has something really important to say to us. Because you see, the situation in the town of Laodicea is a lot like our own. Um, Laodicea was a wealthy trade city located on a major river and had major trade routes. And they were just a group of people who were really well off. And As a matter of fact, um, they were known for for their wealth through basically three different ways. Number one, they were known as the hub of the banking industry of their day. They were known for medical care especially for making a salve that could help people's eyes get better. matter of fact, you're going to, as we read a text in a minute, you're going to go, oh, that's why Jesus mentions buy salve for your eyes. Because they were known for creating a salve that actually helped people to see better. And then they were known for the production of black wool. Not white wool, black wool. They were actually world famous for their production of black wool. And within this well-to-do city, the Christian church was established, and at one time, it was flourishing. But when John writes here, as Jesus reveals to him what's going on, um, the church was in decline. They had become more like the culture around them than they were like the church that they started off to be. So with that background, let's turn to Revelation chapter 3 and let's read about the church of Laodicea, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read down to verse 22. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I become wealthy and I have need of nothing, and you do not know, that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that your sh- the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eye so, as- so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, I really felt you wanted me to stop right here and pray this morning. I wrote it in my notes. And, Lord, here's what, I, here's what we ask for this morning. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us in such a clear way in our spirits, in our souls, that, Lord, um, we would become the people of God that you want us to be. That we would become consumed with wanting to walk with you in such a way that even when you correct us, we don't reject that. Instead, we run to that because we know it's based in love. And so, Lord, in any way that you want to speak to us today, I pray this. Give us ears to hear, as it says, if we have ears to hear, give us ears to hear whatever you might be saying to us through your word this morning. Amen. So, what's the, what's the reality of the text we're looking at here? Really, this is a message about the challenges of living in a place of abundance. That's what this message is about. It's written to the city of Laodicea. It's about the challenges of spiritually being hot for God, all in for God, in a place of abundance. This, these people were well off, but Jesus looks at them. And what does Jesus say? He says, you're poor. They thought that they saw life clearly, but Jesus said that they were actually blind and deceived. And church, this message from Jesus is specifically to a, to a group of people who are living in this place of abundance. And what I found is that in, in, in having the privilege of living in different places around the world and around this country, that there are unique challenges involved in living in any different situation. There are unique challenges of living in poverty. Suzanne and I worked at a street mission for two years. There were unique challenges in living in poverty and interacting with people who lived in poverty that are different than anybody else. There were unique challenges that Suzanne and I faced as we were really rich Americans living in Cambodia among impoverished people in a place of complete spiritual darkness. There were unique challenges to living in that. And now for us in our communities, a lot of us are living in a situation very similar to Laodicea. Um, Because we really do live in, whether we know it or not, in a great place of abundance. There are challenges, unique challenges to living in a place of abundance. Um, Because we do have a lot. You know, I really think this. I think that, I I, I say this, I don't think that anybody in my community went to bed hungry last night. Maybe someone did. But I don't think people in my neighborhood went to bed hungry. Hungry last night. Over one third of the world is starving to death, and so that puts us in a in the top. For sure, in the top two thirds, they say one third is starving, one third is just enough food, and one third is more than enough. So for sure, we're living in the top third. Because I don't think many of my neighbors went to bed hungry. And I was thinking this. And I was trying to think about are we like Laodicea or not? Because it's really not. We're not in Hollywood, and you know have you know have Rolls Royces. But I was thinking just on a day like today, um, on a, on a low estimate, there's at least seventy five cars in our parking lot at church this morning, at least 75, probably more. And if the average value of the cars in our parking lot was $15,000, now you know this, you can't buy much of a car for $15,000. So, you know, I have one car that's worth about $4,000 and one car that's worth about $20,000. So I thought, you know what? Probably, maybe an average of the cars in our parking lot would be $15,000. If that was the case, just the value of the cars in our parking lot this morning would be over a million dollars, like $1,000,000. $1,125,000 $1,125,000 100, approximately. Did I do my math right, Mitch? I did my math right. <laughs> think of this. We all came from somewhere. Um, houses. Most of us came from homes. Some of you live in apartments. Um, but just think of this. What, was, what would be the value of just the homes that we left this morning to drive here to come to church? I think we, it wouldn't take long for us to conclude, if we compare ourselves with the rest of the world, that we really do live in a Laodicean type of place. In the modern times, we live in a Laodicea. And that carries with us some great blessings. I love my house. I'm, I'm very glad I live in my house. I don't think God's knocking nice houses. I love it. It has it. was great blessings of living. You know, I think God created man to be blessed. But living in abundance also has unique challenges. And I think spiritually a lot of times we don't, we don't see it or we don't want to see it. There's unique challenges. I've heard stories a few different times in my life of different pastors and church leaders who lived in very impoverished places that would say things, I've read them or actually heard them say it, things about the American church, and they would say how they pray for the American church. Because they say this, we can't imagine how hard it is to live in such abundance and still remain true to Jesus. And they pray for us because they go, "Ah, in some ways we got it easier because we got nothing, we just need Jesus. You guys have all these distractions. And I think that is surely what the church of Laodicea was experiencing. So let's talk about what Jesus says to Christians living in a place of abundance. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Now, understand, I'm not trying to say that he would say these exact words to us, but I'm saying as a general rule to living in abundance, this seems to be a pretty common message that needs to be heard. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Look what Jesus um, says to them, to that group, and says, he says something about him. He describes them with this word that you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold spiritually. In other words, think spiritually, he's saying, they have lost their passion for the things of God. That the things of God really aren't that important to them anymore. He's saying you're not hot about it, you're not cold about it. You're just kind of in the middle. He says you're lukewarm. He says they have some kind of religious life, Because he doesn't say they're faithless. He doesn't say they've walked from God. He doesn't say they're lost. He just says, you're not hot, you're not cold. You know what he says you are like spiritually? You're blah. That's what he's saying to the people of Laodicea. He's saying spiritually they were blah. No excitement for the things of God, no vision for the things of God, just kind of putting in their religious time. And the question that that brings to my mind, because I live in a place like Laodicea, is how did this happen? How could they get in that condition? How could they start off in revival and live in a place of abundance with awesome opportunity and end up where Jesus himself would look at them and say, you're just spiritually blah. You're lukewarm. Well, I think the answer is found in verse 17. the Beginning of the verse, it says this. It's because of what they think about themselves. Because you say, you believe, I am rich, and I become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. Jesus is pointing out that there are great, unique challenges for Christian living in a culture of abundance, and it's a challenge to live without perceived need. It's a challenge to live in a place where you can't determine, you can't really distinguish that you have a need. And again, he's not condemning wealth. He's saying that it comes, he's just saying that wealth and abundance comes with great challenges and that it can be spiritually damaging. And I think that scripture points out what I could think of three particular ways that this can become true about their life. It might have been for them, and it can be true in my life, and it can be true in your life. And I want to talk about these three ways that living in a place of abundance can cause us to become. Get in this spot where we say, Well, I really don't perceive any need in my life. And then because of that become spiritually lukewarm. The first thing I think that we there's a unique challenge to abundance is this. It's self-reliance. Abundance can breed, doesn't need to, but can breed self-reliance. What does what what is self-reliance really? It's putting yourself in the place in your life that God really should have. It's saying, you know what, God? I've got this. You ever done that in some situation? Somebody says, Can you help it? And you go, No, no, I got this. That's what it's saying spiritually. It's saying, God, I've got this. And I'll be honest. It is hard to not be self reliant in an abundant culture. Because think about our culture. Think of the opportunities that we have. That if you, because of our opportunities, if you are motivated and if you are talented, and most of you in here are, most of us are, we're motivated and we're talented. Because we are, if we really apply ourselves, you know what happens? We win. We do, we win. We succeed, we achieve, we get, we accomplish, we accumulate. Why? Because the opportunities are all around. You could be in the same situation of the opportunities to be lazy and untalented and maybe nothing works. But in our situation, if you have motivation and you have ability and you have drive, what happens if you put your, the old saying, you put your nose to the grindstone, you win. You achieve. And in time, it's easy to just live in that world where I work hard, I achieve, I accomplish, and what I conclude in a little while, I don't say it, I maybe don't even think it, but I create a culture, a, stru- a structure around me where I really don't need God. Well really we say to God, "A oh God, I got this. I'm taking care of it myself. I'm self-reliant. Friends, this is incredibly American. If you want to describe America, America is a group of people who have been taught that the number one goal, the the right thing to live, is rugged individualism. To be very independent, to be very American, to be very self-reliant. I don't need anyone. Well, church, I believe this is one of the enemy's greatest tricks. I believe he wants us blessed. I believe the enemy wants us blessed to the point that we don't remember that we need God anymore. Have you ever thought of this? Have you ever thought about the possibility that that promotion, or that job opportunity, or that investment opportunity, or that or that um, opportunity to advance, to get more, to succeed more, really isn't a blessing from God, but it's actually from the enemy of your soul? that he wants to provide to you, to distract you from walking with God? I believe it can be. I believe the enemy would love us to be so blessed that we don't even think we need God anymore. It doesn't have to be that way, but it can lead to self-reliance instead of relying on God. I think that's the first way that it's dangerous to live in a place of abundance. The second way that abundance can be challenging is through this. It's through self-deception. I found that when people have a lot of resources, that those around them with less, matter of fact, if you just do this in this culture long enough, eventually you start accumulating, so the people who are younger, or different jobs or whatever, have less, that those with less often become dishonest toward you, which leads to self-deception. I can give you a great story that illustrates it. When we were in Cambodia, the reason we were there is because a friend of ours had gone ahead of us and he had been part of the first church we planted. I knew him for years. This guy was on fire for Jesus. And everything was about the Lord. And he moved his whole family to Cambodia right after the war. And they were there, and they lived through a lot of crazy stuff. And we were recruited, actually, by them to go to Cambodia to teach church planting uh, to the pastors. And um, within a very short so we worked with, with, this, with this guy. And within a very short time, um, I was shocked at what I saw in his life. And if he was here, I'd share the same story because I've talked to him about it a bunch of times. Um, that in the entire time he was there, I felt he had not only not grown spiritually, I felt he had gone backwards spiritually. And he had some developed some crazy theology. He would say things to me like this, you know, Mark, he who has the gold makes the rules. You know, I'm saying that's not really scriptural. And he'd have he'd have all these different little sayings, he would say, that really came more out of worldly thinking and books he was always reading than out of scripture. And here was the deal. If you talk to him and you talk to anybody around, him, he believed he was literally this incredible spiritual giant. That's the way he presented himself, and that's why everybody believed about him. But I looked at him and I thought, what in the world happened to my friend? And this is what I come to find out living with him. I've often wondered if one of the reasons I went to Cambodia was to learn this lesson that he held the purse strings and he was also the boss over many people of this, of this very large ministry. And no one would ever tell him the truth of what his shortcomings. Because number one, they wanted their job. Number two, they wanted his, the resources that he kept controlled. And people wanted what he had, what he controlled. It was never his, but he controlled it. So they either ignored um, or refused to tell him the truth, to confront him ever, to ever say he wasn't right or say that was wrong. And what it did is actually bred immaturity in him and even though he became more and more immature, people praised him because they wanted what he had. And I remember being with him for a while, and I didn't in that situation, but later he left missions. And I talked to him, and we re- reconnected. And, and I said to him, I said, missions ruined you. And he's like, it did. I said, I said missions killed your soul. And we talked about it, because he's doing great now. And, and we talked about how living in a situation where no one ever confronts you um, is very difficult. When no one ever says it's wrong, because, because you're the one that has control over resources. Because they just tell you you're all you're all right. Even though he wasn't all right. And it reinforced his wrong thinking. Now he's doing much better, but he understands that, that having control of, of money created this environment um, where, where he could be self-deceived. And the Christians of Laodicea, were self-deceived. They believed one thing about themselves, but Jesus believed something else. They believed that they were on fire. They believed that they were doing great. They believed they were fine. If you would have done a church survey of the people in the church of Laodicea and said, how are you doing? I guarantee you they said, great man, life is good. I'm going to my cabin this weekend. Great man, life is good. I just bought a new whatever. God, or this is what they say, the blessings of the Lord are upon me. Because look at all I have. But God looked at them and Jesus said, you're spiritually a mess. Self-deception is common and it's dangerous. And friends, listen, it's not anything new. Proverbs 14.20 says this, the poor is hated even by his neighbors, but those who love money, who, who love the rich, are many. It's it's, it's as old as, as humanity that much of my friend experience in Cambodia. Everybody loved him because he controlled the purse strings, and because he controlled the purse strings, no one was ever honest with him. But the poor guy everybody hated, even though maybe a great guy. When we have abundance, it attracts others. People want a piece of it. And that often leads to self deception because everybody around you is telling you how wonderful you, how wonderful you are, or at least they're not wanting to offend you because they really want to be like you or have what you have. And I would just say this. Be careful to not equate your full bank account with spiritual or emotional maturity or even with the blessing of God. Don't deceive yourself into believing that you are blessed by God simply because you have a lot. I would challenge you to do this. Surround yourself with some people who will be honest to you about yourself. They don't want a piece of your pie. I've got a friend who's... Got tons and tons of money. He owns a couple of banks. He's really rich. We used to be roommates. And he always says, he calls me Archie. So it was my nickname when we were roommates. Archie, do you know why I love you? Because you don't want what I have and you'll tell me when I'm wrong. He says, everybody around me lies to me. Because they want, my, they want a job, they want money, they want something. And he goes, you don't care. And I said, I want your money. Tell him all the time, I don't want your money. And he says, Archie, um, I need you around. And here's the deal. We all need somebody around us if we have abundance to tell us that, you know what? That those Laodiceans needed somebody to tell them, you're going in the wrong direction. Look well, at the third thing, the third danger of living in abundance. And it's this, it's comparison. Now, all people compare. But keeping up with the Joneses has serious implications in Laodicea, in a place of abundance. Because what you're comparing to is huge. The apostle Paul um, was really clear about this. Turn in your Bible to the book of First Timothy. One of the most under-preached on sections of Scripture in the whole Bible. You've hardly ever—I bet you—you've never hardly heard a message on the verses we're going to look at right now, because they don't fit really well in Laodicea. First Timothy, chapter six. Look at verses six through eleven. It's an intersection where where, where Paul is writing to Timothy about how to be a minister properly and how to minister to people. He says, but godliness, verse 6 of of chapter 6, actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Listen to verses 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, some by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, love, Perseverance and gentleness. What an amazing thing. Those are incredibly strong words of love. Incredibly strong words of love that, that Paul is writing to Timothy because he sees it happening in the church. That people are equating having more with the abundance of God and they're going after more, thinking it's the same as going after God, and it's not. He's not saying you can't have more, but he's saying you can't think that that's the the blessing of God. He gives these strong words. Those who want to get rich, he says, harm themselves. He says some have wandered away from the faith because they're pursuing the, the American dream or the Laodicean dream. In verse 11 he says, you need to flee these things. See, wanting to get rich is mostly driven by comparison. I want what somebody else has, or I want to live a life like they have. They got a big, huge house, I need to have a big, huge house. They got six cars, I need seven cars. They go They go to trips to, to London, I need to go to Australia, and then to New Zealand, and then wherever, 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 because I'm comparing myself to someone else. Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is a thief of joy, and that's true. But it's also it can also be the drive that pushes you on a path away from God into lukewarmness. Again, abundance isn't bad. Not one time in here for Timothy or, Paul Revela- or in John in Revelation do they say abundance is bad. It's not bad. Having a lot so you can be a great blessing? I wish we all had ridiculous resources so that somebody today could walk up to Chris and go, only 280,000? <sighs> Nothing. <laughs> and hand it to you. Won't even know it's missing from my bank. You know, that would be fine. As long as that pursuit, that, 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 that having the abundance we recognize was a gift from God, not to just to, to, to distract us, but rather to use those resources to propel the cru- cause of Christ for good things. So that next year, we don't stop at 99,000 for kingdom builders. Next year, we have 120,000 for kingdom builders, or whatever. That we use it for the cause of, abundance for the cause of Christ. But if we look here, Jesus is seeing the people in Laodicea who have drifted away from passionate spirituality and good practices and have chosen chasing after money over chasing after God. And he's saying, it's shipwrecked your faith. But the scary thing he says, and they didn't even know it. Now, enough of the warnings. What does Jesus say one should do if they realize that their are living in abundance has caused negative spiritual effects in their life? Verses 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I'll dine with him and he with me. Because Jesus loves us, he calls us to repent, to change our mind and to change our direction, to choose a better way. That's what repentance needs. We recognize that we are going in the wrong direction and we turn and we go in the right direction. And what is the right direction? It's opening the door for Jesus. Jesus. He's standing on the outside knocking. Can you ever imagine a picture of Christianity where Jesus is saying, here's the truth of the situation. You're lukewarm and I'm outside the door and I'm knocking and asking, can I please come into your life? That's the picture he's painting. He's saying, you're so consumed with chasing over all this other stuff that you don't even know that you've closed the door on me and I'm saying, can I please come in? But that's the picture that he's painting. He wants to live in a vibrant relationship with you and me, but he can't do that if we're chasing after other gods. And one of the other gods we can chase after is the God of, 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 of wealth. Again, not that wealth is bad if it's used right. But if it's used to distance us from God, then it's damaging. In chapter 2 of Revelation, when, writing, when, when John is writing to the Ephesian church about basically the same thing, he calls it this. He says, you need to return to your first love to once again place Jesus in first place in your life. And friends, that applies to Christians who have drifted away as well as anyone who has yet to give their life to Jesus. Jesus wants the best for us. And guess what is the best? He is the best. And I think the message from Laodicea is this. Don't settle for the false God of abundance as a God that you devote yourself to don't settle for anything less than the best which is Jesus and we open the door and we say Jesus come in that's what we did during communion we said Jesus come in does that make sense friends that's a danger of li- there's a danger of living in abundance and i appreciate the fact that god loves us so much that he would say to us from his word here's something really relevant to consider so that you make sure that instead of instead of saying, I'm just kind of lukewarm, just kind of spiritually blah, that he offers something better, which is passionate life with him that changes everything. What's the key? Open the door. Stand up for you this morning. Jesus... Um, I hesitated for a while preaching this message, Lord, and you know it. Because I looked at it and I thought, that's no fun. I really did, Lord. I looked at it and I said, that's not fun. There's not a lot of amening going on about about, uh, it's hard to live in Laodicea because, because the fun things it produces could actually cause spiritual harm. But I want to thank you that you love us so much that you would warn us and you would use another city that really existed and they really had this situation, you would use them as an example for us. And what I love, Lord, is that you don't just condemn, you don't go look at your rotten bunch of apples, you didn't do it right, rather you say, you know what, evaluate, and if you see any of this in your life, I'm going to give you a better way. Because you didn't stop at just saying, um, here's what I see wrong. You looked and you said, and here's the path to, to joy, the path to goodness. And the path was you. It is you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord Jesus, this is my prayer for our church. Because God, we're at all different stages as people of development, of in this situation, referring to abundance, different, different places. And here's what I would pray. God, whatever challenges we face along the lines of this, of this issue, Would you help us to see clearly? You told the church to buy salve for their eyes so they could see. And you're referencing the salve that the town made. And Lord, I pray this spiritually. Would you you put salve in our eyes if we're not seeing clearly? So that we would look at our lives with honesty and we'd recognize what... We would hear how you evaluate us. And God, that's a scary thing. It's not scary because you don't love us, but it's scary because it might mess with my contentment. And I would ask this gift to be given to everyone at Portview Church today. Could we honestly say, God, show us what what you see? Because you only do that. You never do it to condemn us. You never do it to harm us. You only do it to help us get better. And God, will we be a group of people? Could you help us to be a group of people who are honest enough to say yes to your evaluation? And then God, as we see the good and the bad, because in you know, all these people, you said, I see something good about you. We can celebrate the good, but then we can look at the other things and say, God, now help me because I want to get better with you. So Holy Spirit in a very real way, would you come and would you rest upon your church today? Would you speak life